0: are you and where are you going what do you want for the next 24 minutes we're going to design and attain your ideal life on the way to wow show together we'll find the ideal path to get you back on the track to success and happiness on The Way to Wow Show with your host, Kevin Bemel. If we're gonna find our way to wow, we're gonna be making a lot of choices. And that's right up the alley of one of our guests today, Barry Schwartz, who's gonna talk to us about the paradox of choice because he's very concerned about how this works with happiness. And then after that, we're gonna talk to a woman who's really spent her life working with horses. First as a hobby and now professionally, tremendous insight that we can get from these beautiful, graceful animals. How can you care for yourself through play? So we'll mix this up for us. And you know, it's got sage in it. Sage always makes me think of horses. So should be good. Let's see. Mm. Ooh, that's delicious. Mm. Okay. Wow. Oh, sorry. I have to another to <laughs> say. I get it. I'll take all the flattery. <laughs> You're a genius. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, in my limited experiences with horses, there's always tons of
1: sagebrush around, so this cocktail made the most sense. Yeah, right? I mean, nah.
0: all those old westerns from the 30s was the sagebrush other the this. And, but that's, that's my impression. Sagebrush and horses go together.
1: <laughs>
0: my guest is Jennifer Granger. At the ripe old age of 12, Jennifer got her first horse. And... Um, I think it's you know, really, the, it was the start of a, a lifelong love affair. Uh, I, I will confess, I love horses, okay? I you know, really believe, like uh, Ronald Reagan said, the best thing for the inside of the man is the outside of a horse. And I, I think that's true for, for women as well. Uh, but the interesting thing is, in her earlier life, Jennifer was a corporate executive. She worked for the organization that eventually became Live Nation doing promoting live concerts all over the world, I think Live Nation did, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually she got into um, kind of a, a different end of that business. And then um, in 2008, just some, some changes in your life and, and you uh, decided to go into working with, with horses and people professionally. Um, maybe, I don't know, finally coming home, if if, if that's – is that a, an I, accurate yeah.
2: – I, I, I Yeah, definitely came full circle. Um, if you would have talked to 15-year-old me, I would have said, I'm going to be a horse trainer. This is – you know, it was I loved it. And, and every time they'd give me an office, you know, with a window, I would sit outside and daydream about riding. You know, I'd kind of look out over the valley and go, oh, there's a great – that could be a great trail over there. So –
0: yeah. Just but all through your corporate career, mm-hmm. you stayed involved with horses. I did. Yeah. One of the aspects of the three pillars of attainment is the idea that we need to be multifaceted in our lives to reach that, that way to wow. So how did being involved with horses while being a corporate executive help you craft your overall life?
1: Well...
2: I mean, for me, it was it just, you know, it, when I was working in the corporate world, I did a lot of trail riding. I wasn't as involved in the show ri- showing mm-hmm. in those years. And just being out and being out in nature and just being with my horse. And, you know, there's something really amazing that happens that um, your heart rate syncs up with your horse's heart rate. And it, it's... You know, all the stuff that science is telling us now, but our heart rates sync up. And just being out there and, you know, at the time I kept her out in Palos Verdes and it's, you know, this beautiful peninsula and overlooking the ocean. And, you know, you're just so in nature and the things I would see, you know, I got to see, you know, big, huge rattlesnakes and, you know, you know, you're kind of walking by them and you're like, okay, just stay there. Um, You know, and the hawks, and I got to see pheasant, and you know, red fox, and just all these amazing things. I even oh, I got to see a cougar. I was out on the trail, Mm -hmm. and we were kind of came around a mountain top, and there's a mountain lion coming at us, and you know, kind of saw us and stopped and turned and then went over the side. But you know, all these things that you just don't see because we could go so deep into nature and right. you know really experience that
0: so it's a very a very you're in a very different environment obviously than the, than the corporate world yeah so how so how does being in that different environment but with this this other creature right a horse where we were talking about this earlier right the horse responds to our state mm-hmm. right so right. So on the one hand, when you're in the corporate world where we're negotiating with people or working with people and they're responding to our state, the horse does too, and yet it's in a completely different environment. How does that, how do you think that dynamic helps us as, as people?
2: Well, when you're working with the horses, you can't think about anything else. I mean, if you it you know, you, you just have to set your problems aside and you have to focus and you have to be in the moment because they're in the moment. They don't think about past or future or anything like that. It's what we're doing right now. And they also, you know, even though they're bigger than us and they weigh close to 1,000 pounds, they depend on us to keep, us, to keep them safe. You know, we're predators. They're animals of prey. Um, in the horse's mind, they just think they're, you know, a bunny rabbit and so yeah last <laughs> when i say that um, but you know they they do and so they depend on us especially when we're out trail riding we have to be very aware of our environment and aware of you know what's going to affect our horse and how our horse is going to feel about it you know we might look at it and go well, it's just a kid riding by on a bicycle and the horse goes oh my god it's gonna eat me you know so we have to think about that.
0: Is it reasonable to say that when we're working with a horse, we have to be more aware of the horse in some ways than we are about ourselves?
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So how, how, do, how do we do that, do you think?
2: Well, you know, there's, you kind of go through phases. So when you're first learning, you're just learning the basics of your positioning and how to how to give the horse cues and things like that. So once you've gone through that it opens up space in your mind to where you can become aware. You know, the horses they speak they you know, they don't speak. They speak a silent language. It's all body language. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I'm out riding my horse like the time we ran into the the cougar out on the trail. So, we're up riding in the mountains up kind of the top and the the trail winds through and we were downwind from the cougar. It's the only reason we saw it. So the horses knew that the cougar was there. And every time the trail would wind around the side of the mountaintop, and we'd get hit by a blast of wind, the horses would raise their head up, and they'd try to turn around. And my friend and I were like, these horses are normally so good. Like, what is going on? But the horses were telling us, and they knew, you know. And Thankfully, we got to see it because we were thinking, gosh, our horses are so bad. We, You know, we're, we're the ride before, we were patting ourselves on our back for how great we were doing with these horses. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, they wanted to spin and go back home. And we're like, what is going on? And then we see it. And then it's like, oh, you guys were trying to tell us something, and we weren't listening. That was our fault. We didn't protect you from that, you know. So you go through those experiences with your horse. And you start to build a reservoir of trust. And they have to trust you and you have to trust them. And, you know, once we learn to speak their language and once we learn that, okay, you know, you're gonna throw your head up, that means you're an alarm. So you're, you're telling me, okay, I'm alarmed here, you know, and maybe your heart rate is going up. So what can I do to help with that alarm? Can I identify what you're, you know, you're alarmed about? Is it, you know, somebody riding by on a bike? Is it something that I don't know about? And I have to kind of go, okay, how can I help you through this, you know?
0: So so final question. A lot of what you're describing to me sounds like the way we ought to be relating to other people.
2: Absolutely. Uh, our family and such. Yeah.
0: Do you, in general, do you find that people who are, who are good with horses are better with people?
2: I don't know, I, you know. Mm-hmm. A horse is easy to be good with. A person, I I think that you, for people who have trouble letting themselves be vulnerable, Mm. it's much easier to be vulnerable with a horse. Mm. You can get hurt by humans, you know, like emotionally hurt by humans. And I, I think that horses give us that safe space if you're not maybe necessarily practiced in feeling emotions or being vulnerable, You can really learn to have that and practice that and get good at it Mm -hmm. with horses. Um, You know, and horses are so forgiving. And I I don't know if we're forgiving. You know, I mean, sometimes I think we don't forgive ourselves and that causes the problems. But I think it's, as I get older, I do kind of think that way that yeah. they do help us with our... Yeah,
0: you, you can see why there are so many different programs that basically uses horses for therapy.
2: Oh, yeah. It yeah. seems yeah. like they
1: put your life in real perspective, you know? Like, and I don't know if you have the same mm-hmm. experience, but when I'm around a horse, like all of those worldly problems just get really, really small.
2: Absolutely. Yep, that's that's it. I mean, I have... Adults that come and they just come and see me once a week, and you know I always joke with them. I'm like, I'm the cheapest therapist you'll ever have. <laughs> so.
0: Well, well, Jennifer, your your insights were fascinating, and you have a, a, a thing for our uh, our collage, yes. don't you? I, I
2: I brought you a blue ribbon. Wow, so. a blue ribbon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Finally got one. You get your very in, own best in blue show ribbon. for the way to wow, right? That's right. Anywhere you want to put it, Jennifer, okay. it's, it's up to you.
2: Put it right up there.
0: There you go. Thank you right. so much for coming and talking <laughs> with us. It really was a tr- tremendous pleasure. All
2: right. Thank you.
0: How can you build a stronger mindset? So my next guest is a particular treat for me because I have been an admirer of his work for quite a number of years now. Dr. Barry Schwartz, Emeritus Professor of Psychology at Swarthmore, and um, you're an adjunct professor at uh, Haas School of Business at Berkeley now, is that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, So the way I found out about Dr. Schwartz, uh, Barry, is through a TED Talk he did quite a number of years ago about something called the Paradox of Choice. Um, To date, 20 million people have seen this TED Talk. And I'm telling you, it is both a scream, funny, and it is also incredibly informative. And for me, um, it it helped me to understand something that had bothered me for quite some time. And then I went and bought his book, The Paradox of Choice. So, um, uh, Barry... Thank you, first of all, for, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. So kind of jumping right in, and, and people said, okay, so, so tell me, what is, what is this whole paradox of choice about? I said, well, um, it starts out because, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, people tend to be either satisficers or maximizers. So would you t- tell us what those two... Um, points
1: of view are, or two positions are, if you will.
0: Okay, let me just
1: step back. First of all, it's a pleasure to be with you. Let me step back, take one step back uh, before I get into that distinction and explain what the quote paradox of choice is. We in Western democratic societies have essentially taken it for granted that freedom is good that choice enhances freedom, so that choice is good. And the more choice people have, the more freedom they have, and therefore the more choice people have, the better off they are. We've taken it for granted, and the amount of choice people have in in societies like ours have just, just exploded. And it is true that choice is good, but it isn't only good. And the paradox that I wrote about in the book is that when you give people too many options, instead of being liberated by all of this, they're paralyzed. They can't pull the trigger. Uh, And so you make them worse off, not better off. Now, there's, uh, by now, a lot of empirical evidence that some point will be reached. Where it is is different for different people and in different domains, where you just kind of start tearing your hair out of your head and going, "Please, please, take this away. Um the work that my colleagues and I did that are kind of a, an enhancement of this is we ask ourselves whether this problem of too much choice is a problem for everyone. Mm-hmm. And our thinking was like this, if you're out to get the best, how many options do you need to look at before you make a choice? The answer is you need to look at all of them, because how else do you know what the best is? Now, that's not a problem when all you've got is Lee's and Levi's, but it becomes a very big problem when there are 2,000 or 10,000 or 50,000 different kinds of genes to choose from. Uh, So people who are out to get the best we call maximizers. Only the best will do. There's another set of people who we call satisficers who are not looking for the best. They're looking for good enough. And you can have high standards about what good enough is, or low standards. But whatever the standards are, as soon as you find something that meets those standards, you choose it and you stop looking. And so a maximizer needs to do what we call an exhaustive search, which in the modern world is an exhausting search, Mm -hmm. and the satisficer doesn't. The satisficer just looks at one option at a time, and as soon as he or she finds something that meets the standard. You say, that's it. And you don't worry about what you've left on the table. And so we've done a lot of work. We created a little scale that distinguishes, tries to distinguish these two categories of people. Um, And what we find is A, people do differ in this regard. And B, people who are maximizers tend to get better results and feel worse about the results they get. Interesting. You know, you. Uh, uh, we did one study with uh, college seniors looking for jobs. Maximizers got better jobs and felt much worse about the jobs they got. Yeah,
0: and, and so this points up to my next way. I think this is something that you wrestled with in, in your book. So if there's kind of a sweet spot, if you will, in terms of optimal number of choices, how do we restrict that choice, right? Because... Yeah. Um, you've got, on the one hand, you could, you could assign it to the government or you could assign it to, I don't know, parents. or How, how do we wrestle with the need to restrict choices in order to increase happiness?
1: So there's, there's, no, there's no entity from on high that's going to limit the number of options that we have available. So it's sort of up to us to find ways to limit them. And in the pre-digital days where you'd have to schlep from store to store, driving across town, you might impose limits on yourself. But now where you basically can be sitting on your couch eating popcorn, why would you ever stop searching? And the result uh, is that is that we are confronted with minimal uh, cost to us with as many options as we want to look at. So it takes a lot, uh, there is a sweet spot We don't know what it is, or more accurately, it's almost certainly not the same for every person and every area of life, but we now know unequivocally that there can be too much of a good thing, and so if you're in the marketing side, you should ask, how many options can I offer people so that they will be invited by them rather than paralyzed, and there's going to be a number. And that number is almost certainly smaller than the marketers think it is. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and as consumers, we can try to impose a certain amount of discipline on ourselves. I'm only going to go to two stores. I'm only going to look at three websites. I am never going to click the button on the website that says show all. That, you know, that is the, the invitation down a rabbit hole that leaves you depressed and without a new toaster.
0: Unfortunately, our, our, our time is up. Um, but, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm encouraged a little bit. I read an article just recently that Coca-Cola is cutting down the number of, of options it offers from, I think, something like 500 to maybe 400. <laughs> so it still seems, I mean, still seems overwhelming to me, but perhaps we're going in the right direction as, as uh, you know, consumer uh, products groups it seems in general are looking to to offer fewer options so so maybe there's there's hope for us yet
1: barry thank you but i think we're gonna have to rely on ourselves more than we are on the marketers i
0: i you know what i suspect you're right nonetheless indeed so um we're gonna have um sierra put up your thing to wrap things up here are you ready okay we go. We have a we have a copy of the cover of Barry's book, the the, uh, the Paradox of Choice. It's going to go right up here on the collage. Oh, and she's she's and putting you front and center. Make wow. the choices easier, right? There you go, Barry. Thank you so much, and I, I hope um we'll we'll get an opportunity to check back in with you from time to time, um and 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 find out about some of the other work that you're doing as, as we work with people to make their lives better take them on the way to WoW. Thanks so much Thanks for be being with my us. Point. Bye-bye. That's our show for this week. Stay tuned next week when we have Raphael Lapin, the founder of Lappin Negotiation Services, talking about how to deal with difficult people. Pretty timely subject I think right now. Courage at all time my friends. Marie, you are still my bell.